Well, good morning and welcome yet again to Grace Community Church. Uh, aren't some of you supposed to be at the beach or something? I mean, it's unusual for Memorial, I mean, not Memorial Day weekend, Labor Day weekend, uh, to, uh, for so many of you to be here. I just wanted to say, I know most of the young ones are going, if there are any young ones in, Labor Day means cleaning the house, really good. Helping your parents, that's what this weekend, that's what that holiday is all about. Well, if, if you're here for the first time, if you're new or is, I think it was David, someone said in the prayer time before service this morning, nearly new, uh, we'd love for you to know a little bit more about Grace Community Church. Our prayer is for you to be exactly where the Lord wants you to be, whether that's here Another Bible believer, I can promise you, he wants you to be in a church that believes and preaches the Bible. That's, that's for certain. And worships the Lord in song. But <clears throat> if you would like to know more about grace, we would like to share that with you over the next couple of weeks. Next Sunday, after church, two things are happening. One, we're having a, uh, a discovery lunch for those of you that would like to meet some of the elders and staff members. Just ask some questions, that kind of thing. But also... We're having a home group fair where we're going to have all the home group leaders or someone who is representing that particular group, couples, one or two couples from each group, will be available for you to talk with after the service. Now, we've got home groups in Fuquay, Anger, Bowie's Creek. Uh, we've got one starting up next week in the Anderson Creek Spring Lake area. We've, we've got a, a number of people who come from out there. So a lot of stuff going on in our home groups. And that is where connections are made. Ministry really happens. This year, next week, we're starting a, a new series, Engage the World with the Gospel. That's part of our purpose statement. Exalt the Lord. Establish believers. Engage the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking about engaging people with the gospel all year. And a lot of that's going to happen through the home groups. We're not having any programs. We're having people go out and visit, that type of thing. Unless your home group decides as a group that you would like to do that. But we're going to be talking about ways that we can connect people that we're, to whom the Lord is connected with us with the gospel. Uh, so next Sunday, we're going to have home group. Fair and then discovery lunch right after. And then the following week we'll begin our Grace Connection class. Also next Sunday is baptism. We have four people who are going to be baptized next Sunday. And baptism is, is very much like the initiation into the Christian life. The Lord's table that we're going to share today is the responsibility and privilege for family members. So next week is a, is a big Sunday for us. At Grace and an opportunity for you to see a little bit more about who we are. Um, that last song that we sang this morning, not the one as we gathered back together, but uh, there is a fountain filled with blood written by William Cooper. And I, it just struck me as we were singing that song. I don't know if you know, but he struggled with depression. In fact, he, he struggled with flat out insanity. He was he had periods of time where his mind would just completely betray him. He wondered, how can God love a sinner like me? I, I, I've done so many bad things. He was a contemporary and a friend with John Newton, who was the slave trader 
uh, converted and saying Amazing Grace. And both of those men were quite the abolitionists in England. And I was just thinking today as we were singing that song, some of you struggle with depression. And it truly affects uh, your sense of a relationship with the Lord. I'm so grateful that our relationship with God depends on Him, not on us. Hang on to Jesus. Yes, we're commanded to do that over and over in Scripture. But know this, He's hanging on to you. If you've repented of your sins, if you've said, I know that my only hope of heaven is Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection. And my belief in that, I believe, Father, help my unbelief. If you have repented and believed, you belong to Jesus and He's hanging on to you. This morning we're going to be talking about a time where Jesus interacted with His disciples right at the very end. I want to ask if any of you ever saw the old show back in the day, Dirty Jobs. You ever see that show? Uh, I, I, I didn't see it very often. I don't know. Maybe it's just I was so grossed out just by the idea. I mean, this show involves septic tanks, um, bat caves, uh, all kinds. Coal mines, a lot worse than that. I, I, I know it did. And I just didn't really care to watch it. But the idea is familiar to all of us. It's one of those somebody's got to do it kind of things. You, you just know that these are jobs that have to be done. I wouldn't want to do it for a day, much less for a living. But this guy went seeking them out and got to it. This morning, we're going to explore one of those moments in Scripture. Uh, it's when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. You know, it's so often the case that if you don't understand the culture of the first century, you miss the full impact of what's going on. Not that you have to understand everything about first century culture. For Scripture to speak to you, it's timeless. Scripture is absolute truth, and yet it's fluid enough that it transcends all generations, all cultures, even all personalities. It speaks to each one of us. But there is truth that was written, and it was written in a particular context. And the more we understand about that, the more we understand the lessons, the application that Jesus is making. I'm not sure we can comprehend the shock that the disciples experienced when Jesus began to wash their feet. I mean, it's not as though Jesus got up and washed the dishes. Look, this was, far, this was far more shocking than if the President of the United States came to your home and after dinner got up and washed the dishes and then said, where's the material to go clean the bathrooms? You're like, no, no, no! You, the President of the United States is going to clean my bathroom? No way! I'm not letting that happen. Washing the feet of guests was an act that was standard when friends entered the home in the first century. I mean, the, the, the dusty roads did a number on the, on the sandal-clad feet of the, of the travelers. And so it was to be done when you walked into the home, but it was not done by family members. It was, if, if, you, if, if it was family members, it was the youngest one. If you, didn't have, if you had slaves, it was the lowest of the slaves. If you were a Jewish man or woman and you had slaves, it was Gentile slaves, not Jewish slaves, who would wash the feet. I mean, many Jews wouldn't expect a Jewish slave to wash their feet. That was reserved for Gentiles. 
So obviously, on the occasion of the Last Supper, no one had washed Jesus' feet. No one had washed any of the disciples' feet. And before you judge them too harshly, understand just how socially humiliating this task was. It may have been acceptable for one of the disciples to wash Jesus' feet, but it was absolutely unthinkable that Jesus, their leader, their rabbi, would wash their feet. Our scripture this morning is John 13, verses 1 to 17. And as is our custom, I'll ask you to stand, if you would, for the reading of the word I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all, had given all things into his hands, And that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord... Do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has been bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you, plural, you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments... And returned his, it resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I have done for, to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Please be seated. And let's pray. Can you sense... The confusion in the room as Jesus removes his robe and puts a towel around his waist. This was an act that Jews would have considered despicable for a rabbi 
to do this? Can you hear or even feel the silence as he pours the water into a basin and prepares to wash the disciples' feet? Are you as bewildered as the disciples as he comes to your feet? About to do that which is reserved for the lowest of slaves. Father, we can't really even comprehend what it means to be served in this way. And yet, the Lord of glory took off his outer garments, put a towel around his waist. And washed our feet. Open our hearts. Lord to that which you have called us. May we receive the things that you want us to. And may through the power of the Holy Spirit. And through Christ living in us. And through us. May we. Serve even as we have been served. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this incident that took place where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, you can't believe how many different ideas that scholars have about when exactly this occurred. Uh, most conservative scholars all agree it was during, right after the Passover meal. Uh, so it was at the time of the Lord's Supper. That also was in debate. Was there a Passover meal Wednesday night and then the Lord's Supper Thursday night? Most likely it was all on Thursday night, the night before Jesus was crucified. I, I certainly agree with that. Um, Luke twenty two twenty four. We're going to read the Luke account of the Lord's Supper when we come to the table in just a few moments. But in Luke twenty two twenty four, we're told that during the meal, the disciples had argued about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Unfortunate timing for that conversation, wouldn't you say? And then Jesus gets up and washes the feet of his disciples. He gave them a lesson that they would never forget. And his example extended far beyond that group of men. It extends to us in the, on this very day. It's almost as if, as I mentioned in my prayer, Jesus was washing our feet. He served us in that way. Before we look carefully at the text, and it's not going to be back up on the screen, so you may want to have it. hope you have it open in your Bible or on your phone or wherever you have the word with you this morning. I uh, want to look at three general observations about being a servant. Full disclosure, these points, all the points of this message, the main thoughts from this message came from Bob Anderson, who was the founder and director of TVR, also the founder of Trails Inn Ranch out in Montana, the Hunziker's no Bob. And did Bob and Pat come to uh, Isola? Okay, so they've been to Isola. And we've got the Hunziker's. We've got Ricky and April Lee. We've got a lot of camp people in here, so the service may get crazy at some point. Uh, all of these guys know the camp ministry done 
as unto the Lord requires a servant heart. But all of life really requires a servant heart for those who are followers of Jesus. You know how it is. We want to be considered servants. We just don't want to be treated like servants. Well, Jesus says, follow my example. Three quick thoughts about servants before we draw more thoughts from the text. Uh, a servant is one who sees the needs around him or her. A servant already sees it. You know there are people like that. My wife is like that. She sees stuff. Allison sees stuff. And I'm like, oh, I didn't. I, yeah, she just gets up and she, she moves to me. That's the second point, a servant moves to meet needs without being told. I would guess that it never entered the disciples' minds to wash feet. I mean, they were too busy thinking about ruling in the kingdom. But Jesus not only identified the need, he did something about it. A servant serves without being told. And then... Third, a servant looks only to the master for approval. So if one of the disciples had moved to wash the other disciples' feet, or to wash everybody's feet, how would the other disciples have felt about that? Like, really? Pierre, you're going to do that? Man, you're going to wash everybody's feet? What would Jesus have thought about that? What matters? I can promise you this. If you are a true servant, people are going to think you're crazy. What's Jesus going to think? What matters? So, let's look at the text and see what is required of one who wishes to be a servant. First of all, a servant makes proper use of limited time. Jesus had a great deal to teach his disciples on that night. Sometime this week, if you get the opportunity, just sit down with your Bible and read from John 13 all the way through John 16. All of this occurred on that night before Jesus went into the garden. And then chapter 17 tells us what he prayed in the garden when he wasn't praying, oh God, please let this cup pass from me. How we prayed for you and me, not only his disciples, he prayed for us, all of those who would believe in his name. But there was a lot for him to teach that night. What would you have done in his place right after the supper? Would you have said, now let me explain to you what's just happened. As we partook of the bread and the wine. Would you have taught more? Or would you have done what Jesus did? What do you think the disciples remembered more easily? His teachings that are found in John 13 to 16. Or Jesus washing their feet. It's never a waste of time. To serve someone. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. <coughs> or to the uttermost. 
What is it that you want to accomplish in the days that you have left on this earth? How many years do you think you have left? If you're young, which a lot of you are, I'm guessing you think you're never going to die. That's just kind of what we think, isn't it? I mean, we don't really. We know better, but it's like cancer. It's what happens to somebody else, not to me, not in my family. No matter how many days we have left, time is short. It's much shorter than we think. And if we want to make the best use of the time that we have, we best be serving others. Second requirement of a servant is to realize that service has to be, absolutely must, must be based on love. Well, service that matters to God anyway. I, I, I'm amazed. I'm just amazed at what some people are willing to do. The ways that people serve others. Most often, well, if it's outside of Christ, there is some sense of, of looking for redemption. We're always looking for redemption. We're always looking for justification. But true service to the Lord has to be based on love for the other people. The kind of love that God has. For them, it's, it's love that emanates from the cross. And if it's going to come from the cross, we've got to go to the cross with that kind of love. People abuse us, criticize us, misunderstand us. We serve them anyway. Verse 1 says that Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. Literally the end of his love. And, and, and you're going to see that expression of Jesus' love for them when we come to the table. There are lots of different ways that we could express our love for someone. I mean, we give a gift, we sacrifice a possession, we spend time with another person. But you know what? Most of our gifts point more to our generosity than they do to our humility. I mean, we might give food or money to the homeless, offer rides to those in need. But I wonder how many of us would act in the same kind of selfless manner that Jesus did, it, it, as befits our culture. How many of us would, would, would do something that's the equivalent of removing Jesus removing his robe and being dressed in a way that was contemptible to both Jews and Gentiles alike and washing the feet of his followers. I mean, would we serve like Jesus did when the very thought of such service would bring gasp of horrors to those who know us well? I can promise you, any of you who have ever serve the Lord at any level at all, somebody in your family, somebody in your circle of friends, just doesn't get it. And they think you've, really, you've lost your mind. Only true love will compel us to such service. Love. Over and over and over. We've seen over these last several weeks. You can't fulfill the law apart from love. We think of the law as rigid and love is all this. and Accepting. No, you, the end of the law is love. 
Serving the Lord has to be done through love. And, and you know, we can't serve everyone. So ask God for discernment and for a loving heart that will follow his lead. A third characteristic of a servant is that a servant is sure of his standing with God. This may be really the most important thing that Bob said that caught my attention and, 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 and ought to speak to our hearts. Verse 3 says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew what his relationship with the Father was. When we understand that the Father loves us and that we are rightly related and connected with him, we don't care so much about what others Think, if we're secure in our relationship with God, we'll be free to serve others. If, on the other hand, we indulge our insecurities and all of us are eaten up in one way or another with insecurities, if we indulge them, we will become people of the petty, not people of the towel. Our feelings will get hurt. We'll focus primarily on ourselves. We'll think about how our rights are being violated. And the only people we'll end up serving will be ourselves. Front of the line, I confess. Most of us want to be affirmed by others. In fact, the Lord recognizes our need for affirmation and He commands others to affirm us. But when He's speaking directly to us, He tells us that He is all we need. And that's got to be our focus. We crave feedback. We long for others to affirm our service and thus affirm our value. But the only one we have to please is in heaven. Let's make sure we're okay with Jesus and then move to serve. The fourth thing about being a servant is that we are called to serve even our enemies. How many pairs of feet did Jesus watch, wash that night? Twelve. That means Judas was in the room. Judas was in the house. Once again, I've tried to crack, track down the chronology on all of this. Pretty certain. This was before G Judas got up to leave. And Jesus washed his feet. It may be that the Lord has, or it, it's a very good possibility if he has not, will call you. To wash the feet of someone who has mistreated you badly. Even someone who has betrayed you. You can't be betrayed by someone you didn't love. Someone can do you nasty. Someone can do you wrong. But when you love someone and they turn on you, that's a betrayal. Jesus washed Judah's feet. And if we are called to wash the feet of those who have hurt us deeply, it's part of that love that sent Jesus to the cross. I know you might feel that you're just not ready for that. 
I, I imagine most of you have somebody in mind who has just done you wrong. Somebody that you really loved and trusted. But when God calls you to do that, ask for the spirit that Jesus had when he got up and washed the feet of his disciples. Why? Why? Why should we be willing to perform such a difficult task? Because of our next point. Service, even to our enemies, is a direct command of the Lord. If I then, verses 14 and 15, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. Look, one of the big mistakes that people make is thinking that the only purpose of Jesus' life was to set an example for us. When he went to the cross, he took our sins upon himself. And the wrath of the Father was poured out on the Son. And he took our place in in death and punishment for our breaking of the law. Jesus was a substitute for our sins. But he was also an example to follow. And he says very plainly here, I have given you an example Follow me. If we refuse to serve our fellow believers, and you know how you feel sometimes, whether you say it or not, and maybe it depends on your personality at the level of passion that you say, I will not serve that person. I feel like that sometimes. And the Lord reminds me, I've elevated my own Importance above that of the Lord. If the creator of the universe, the keeper of the stars, stooped to wash the feet of common men, who are we to scorn the towel? If, on the other hand, we're willing to follow our Lord's example, the last point will be found to be true. Selfless service is the path of happiness. At the end of this time of washing their feet, Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is going to sound like a crazy question, but it will to some and not to others. Why is it that we always associate success and wealth with happiness? I mean, it makes sense early on in life that if you achieve your goals, especially your financial goals, then you'll be able to really enjoy life. That's what's going to make you happy. But if you have made it to your 30s, you know better. Deep down inside, you know it's going to take more than success, more than money to make you truly happy. It's often surprising to discover who is really happy in the world. Those of you who have served in, 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 in emerging nations, you know, you know that some of the poorest people in the world are some of the happiest. People whose stomachs are distended from hunger almost are, are happy because they're not basing their happiness on things and on status. One thing we can know for sure from John 13 is that the people who take up the towel in love are blessed and happy. Now, just because you serve doesn't mean that you're going to be happy. But if you serve as unto the Lord, you will be. (coughs) 
do you really believe that? <laughs> then why do we spend so much time serving ourselves instead of others? In his act of humility and service, Jesus set an example for us. Indeed, instructed us to serve one another in similar ways. <clears throat> and, if, and if we serve others... <clears throat> Then we're serving the Lord. You know the you know the the, the the principle from Matthew 25 40. Truly I say to you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. Whatever you did, as in <laughs> feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting those in prison, whatever you did for them, you did it for me. So whose feet have you washed lately? Maybe it'd be more appropriate to say, whose feet have we not washed lately? When, when have we served when humility was required of us? Do you see how this principle of servanthood applies so much greater than simply doing something difficult for someone. If we are true servants, then think of how it changes our life. Who have you criticized this week? Well, I wouldn't do it that way. With whom have you been impatient? How many idiots have you identified on the highways this week? He texted all the way through the red light and you're expecting me to keep my cool about that? Or the green light, I mean. How might you have served someone when you thought, I just let someone else do that. This morning as we prepare our hearts for the table, for the Lord's table, I want to, I want to read from Philippians 1, or excuse me, Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul shared this great theological hymn about Jesus' humility by leaving the glories of heaven and coming to earth as a, in the form of a servant and dying the death, even a death on a cross. And, and, and he's, he did this, he said this in the context of two sisters at Philippi Community Church who were just not able to get along with one another. And he was affirming both of them and saying, you ladies, Yodia, Syntyche, how wonderfully you serve me. How wonderfully you serve the Lord. You've got to put aside your differences. And follow Jesus' example. I won't get, give any further explanation of the text. So let the Holy Spirit apply Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11, to your heart. As the scene of Jesus washing his disciples' feet burns in your heart and mind. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, 
Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. I I do have to say this. Almost everything that God says to us about our Christian life is in context of our life with other believers. It's so individual in America, but it's so community in Scripture. Have this mind in you is what we read in a lot of our translations, but this is the best trans. Have your mind among your, this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to hang on to, but emptied himself by taking up the form or taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the feet. Under the earth, on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it was this one who said, If I, your teacher and Lord, have done these things to you, ought not you to do it to one another? Let's pray. Well, Father, as we think about this stunning act of service that happened on the night when the Lord's Supper was instituted, we are all speechless, really. Don't know what to say. Don't know how to think. Although even now I know there's a a battle going on in the hearts of some. Who have a sense of who and how to serve. But Lord, truth is we just don't want to. And so, Father, as we come to the table, we remember an act that seems to us far greater. And yet, it's all part and parcel of who Jesus was and is, has been from eternity. We believe the, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, never had a beginning, always existed, eternal, Co-equal, co-eternal, and yet the Son humbled Himself according to the Father's plan and died for us. Lord, as we participate together 
As 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, in the body and blood of Christ, and we have no idea what that means. We recognize what a privilege it is to come to this table. We recognize also it's a time for us to examine our hearts as you told us in 1 Corinthians 11. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. We recognize that you are the only one who makes us worthy to come to this table. That's a serious moment though, Lord, and not something to play with. And so we confess our sins to you. We confess our thoughts, our, our, our words, our actions that have not been pleasing. We confess our sins of omission that we have not served others as you have served us. And it's not that we didn't have time. It's just that we didn't have the inclination or we absolutely were determined we would not. We think very highly of ourselves. Forgive us, Lord. We lay our sins at the foot of the cross and know that Jesus is able to take care of them. We acknowledge as we come to this table that Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. And because of his resurrection, we are justified, Romans tells us. Because of his resurrection, our hope is not in this life. It is in the next. Give us an eternal perspective. And as we come to this table, we proclaim the Lord's return. He is coming back. Lord, may our hearts be joined together as they are joined to you at the table. Bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. So elders and deacons come forward, I'd just give a little bit of instruction about how our uh, time at the table will go forward this morning. You'll come down on the inner aisles that are slanted. Come in this way if you would. Go to the station that is in front of you. Elders are going to serve one another and, and the worship team. Elders and deacons we have this morning serving. And then um, we'll uh, alert you when to come. You'll go down those, come down these inner aisles, but then you'll go out the back aisles and, and up the middle, back up the middle. So um, I would like to read. The vertigo has started up again, so it's uh, not, hopefully won't be entertaining one day. Um. I want to invite those of you who have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior to join us at the table. You don't have to be a member here. I'm reading from Luke 22. And when the hour came, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, washed their feet. But when the hour came, he reclined at table. 
and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That love, that sense that we got. He loved his disciples to the end. That's the kind of love that he has with you. You and me, and, and you know, next week when we're baptizing and today as we come to this table, if you grew up in the traditions that most of us grew up in, we think about the fact that we're identifying with God. He's identifying with us in this moment. And frankly, it's way more about his identification with us than it is our identification with him. This is a privilege to come to this table. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I'd be thinking about the cross and the cross only. His love was just overflowing for them. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is being poured out, that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And I typically stop here. But in light of what we have read earlier. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with us, with me and on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it had, has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another. Which of them it could be who was going to do this? True betrayal. Jesus Washed Judas' feet. And Judas partook at the table. But he didn't belong to Jesus. This morning. As we come. Consider. How. Much of a covenant community meal this is. We are bound to one another. As well as to the Lord. Father. We commit ourselves to you. As you have committed yourself to us. We are grateful for the death, burial and resurrection of the cross. And as we remember. That death, burial and resurrection. We are also reminded. That you. Have given yourselves. Not only for us. But to us. And so we commune with you on this day. Amen.